0: Org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. All right, for those of you who are new, welcome. My name is Dustin. I'm the pastor teacher here at River Bible Church, and man, we're so glad that you're with us to worship the Lord today. We are um, we're in the midst of studying Matthew, Matthew's Gospel. Uh, we are in Matthew chapter 10, and we're going to look in at verses 5 through 15, if you would please turn your Bibles there. If you don't have a Bible, no worries, we got them in the back for you, that's our gift. We also have my, uh, my sermon notes in the foyer if you would like a copy of that. Um, so as you turn to Matthew chapter 10, let me review, because last Sunday we did learn about these 12 ordinary men also better known as the Apostles here. And we saw Jesus last week. He commissioned these men from disciples into apostles. So basically, Jesus ordained these men for the work of the gospel ministry. So what we did is we spent a few minutes on each individual apostle, and we learned a little bit about them Um, from the best that we could see. We learned about their personalities from Scripture and tradition. Now, two things to keep in mind here as we move forward, because it's really important to, to know that these men were not perfect. They were far from perfect. Um, and I don't know about you, but man, that, that gives me hope <laughs> as I bumble along, right? The Um, Scripture doesn't hide their imperfections either, and I think it's really important that we understand and we know, and we really believe this, guys, that these men were ordinary men, and they were empowered by an extraordinary God. Um, We are not called to a life of perfection. We're not. We're going to make mistakes, but we're called to a life of faithfulness. Um, God using imperfect people has always been God's way. Uh, These men, once again, they had ordinary strengths and ordinary temperaments and ordinary weaknesses and ordinary struggles. So in other words, they were incredibly ordinary, ordinary, just like you and me. And I really do pray that that's encouraging to you. Um, These men were not only ordinary, but they were also diverse, just like the church. Nothing united these men but Jesus. Uh, We learned that they lived for Jesus and they also died for Jesus. And then last week when I wrapped up the sermon, I asked a question. And and this question is is really important. And, And here it is. What does it look like for you to finish life well? We talked about how the disciples turned into the apostles. They finished life well. They were on mission for Jesus. Well, what does that look like for us as the church? And what does that look like individually for you? I do uh, pray that you pondered that question, thought about it, asked the Lord, um, and that you would keep asking that question. It is pivotal uh, for us to finish life well. Well, if you have a red-letter Bible this morning, you're going to notice here that the rest of Matthew chapter 10 is all in red. So this is really a monologue from Jesus. After commissioning the 12 apostles, Jesus now provides instructions. He's preparing to send them on a short-term mission trip here. These instructions are also found in Mark and Luke, but Matt, he gives us the most detailed instructions. So we're going to stay there most of the time. Um I do want you to notice a couple things before we dive in here. Jesus gave these instructions, all of Matthew chapter 10, in one sitting. Now, we're not going to cover all of them in one sitting, um, but his instructions can be divided into three parts. And if you would look at your Bible, I want to show you these. The first section deals really with the basic task of ministry. So starting in verse 5, And it ends in verse 15. That's what we're going to cover today. And Jesus says he ends that section by saying, truly, I tell you. Second section, verses 16 through 23, deals with the reaction of these instructions. And it ends in verse 23 when Jesus says, truly, I tell you. Third section includes verses 24 through 42. And it talks about the personal cost of ministry. And guess what? That section ends when Jesus says, truly, I tell you. So some of the instructions that Jesus provides here, they are descriptive of what took place, meaning that those instructions are only for the apostles. And then other instructions are prescriptive, meaning that they are for every disciple of Jesus. And that includes me and you. Now, how do we know the difference Why is that important, and why do you care? Well, let's find out. If you would, let's stand now for the reading and the honoring of God's Word. Scriptures are on the screens for us. We're going to start in verse 5. If you would, please read aloud with me with one voice as one church here. Jesus sent out these 12... After giving them instructions, don't take the road that leads to the Gentiles, and don't enter any Samaritan town. Instead, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you received and freely give. Don't acquire gold, silver, or copper for your money belts. Don't take a traveling bag for the road or an extra shirt, sandals, or a staff, for the worker is worthy of his food. When you enter any town or village, find out who is worthy. Stay there until you leave. Greet a household when you enter it, and if the household is worthy, let your peace be on it. But if it is unworthy... Let your peace return to you. If anyone does not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave the house or town, then truly I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Wow, that's quite the passage. It's a big one too. So we're going to be here for the next three hours. <laughs> talking about this passage. Guys, these are the very words from God. They are authoritative in our lives. They are inerrant. They're inspired and they never ever fail us. Uh, Please pray with me. The psalmist writes, Lord, I will guide you along the path that is best for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Father, what a promise that is. We cling to that promise this morning that you are the one guiding us, and you're not just guiding us, you have, your ways are always the best, and we praise you for that this morning. Um, thank you for your promise that you will counsel, you will advise us, you will watch over us. And as you watch over us, Lord God, this morning, please teach us your word in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, let's take a look here. Verse 5. So Jesus sent out these 12 after giving them instructions. He said, don't take the road that leads to the Gentiles and don't enter any Samaritan town. So the first thing that I want you to notice here is who is doing the sending. These, These men are not sending themselves, are they? This is not their idea. Uh, they have been called, they have been chosen by Almighty God. Jesus is sending these men out with a specific goal and purpose. So what Jesus is doing here, he's dispatching these men to do the same work that they've watched him do. And we, we looked at that work, right? We, we studied uh, chapters 8 and 9. And it's really important for us today to know that, that there are many Christian leaders Who are not sent. They are self appointed. So, guys, any leader, especially any Bible teacher, any pastor, minister, priest, that's worth his salt is under the authority of the local church. Now, look, we hear that word authority, and our ego gets in the way. It prevents us from serving within the gifting that God has given to us. And yet at the same time, we miss the covering, we miss the fellowship, we miss the education, the the discipleship from others, thinking that we can do ministry alone. And Jesus shows us here, he never intended for anyone to serve him alone. And that's why churches plant other churches. Mark's Mark's gospel here confirms this, and is more specific, he says in Mark 6, 7, Uh, He, that's Jesus, he summoned the 12 and he began to send them out, how? In pairs, two by two. So Christians who are tired, Christians who are frustrated or angry and and maybe feel that way, maybe, just maybe, it's because you're serving alone. And it it does cause burnout. It also causes resentment uh, to the people that you're ministering to. And that's really hard to minister to the people that you're resenting. Um, And that happens once again when you're outside the covering of the local church. Unfortunately, if you think about this, many parachurch ministries, many nonprofits are also outside the covering. Um, So, once again, if you feel like you're the Lone Ranger, I want to invite you to get plugged in. Um, Stay for fellowship. After the service, uh, Bible studies in the morning. Uh, ladies, we've got three Bible studies going on. Gentlemen, we've got the, the, the weekly men's breakfast. Um, and, of course, we got the foundations class coming up in January. Um, and that's where everything starts. All right? So I want to I make sure that you know that you're invited to join us in all these areas. Verse 5, Jesus sent out these 12 after giving them instructions. So we have, we've learned that these 12 men, they were sovereignly called by God. They were commissioned by Jesus, and now they're being sent out. Now notice here that Jesus just, he doesn't just cut them loose. He gives them instructions. So in other words, they're under divine orders. They don't, they don't get to do whatever they want. Um, this is not a spiritual free-for-all because Jesus has them on mission. Now, there are a lot of uh, uses for that word instruction in the Greek. As a military term, it, re- it represents an order. Someone gave someone else an order. By the way, how many of you were in the service? Some branch of the service. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Thank you, guys. So you guys know what, a, what an order is. Um, it was also known as a, a legal term. Think of it as a, an official court summons. Think of this as a subpoena. Uh, we, we, we're not going to ignore a subpoena, are we? There are consequences to that. And then you can also think of it as a medical term. This is like a doctor's prescription. So, all that to say that these instructions from Jesus to the apostles they are binding, they are not suggestions. Um, these instructions are how the apostles will succeed. For this short term mission trip. Now, in a general sense, every believer, every believer, not just the pros, right, but the ordinary Joes, um, we are called to share Jesus in some, fortune, in some form or fashion. We are to share Jesus day by day. Now, we all know that every believer is not called to be a preacher or a teacher or a pastor or a missionary, but every believer is called to be a witness. Um, And understanding that this morning, really important that we are all, as a disciple, we are all under a divine order to fulfill the Great Commission. Um, Now, we don't know for sure. We think this is a short-term mission trip, maybe a couple weeks, two to three weeks. Um, Jesus is sending them out so they can get their feet wet here. Uh, So what are these instructions? He says, don't take the road. That leads to the Gentiles, and don't enter any Samaritan town. So notice this, guys. Jesus starts off by telling the apostles what not to do. He immediately puts restrictions on them. Now, why would he do that? Because he was establishing their priorities. The same thing goes for the local church today. We we don't get to choose what we are to do. We've already been told what exactly is the mission of the local church? It's the Great Commission found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Jesus says, go. Notice that, go. And that doesn't mean halfway across the world. That just means maybe to your neighbor's house, maybe to the park, maybe to the grocery store. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you to do. So four things. We are to go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. That's what the local church does. Um, the local church that is one primary thing. Um, we are basically to teach disciples so that the disciples can teach more disciples. That's, that's the church's role. Uh, We don't get to bring our agendas into the church. We we talked last week about how dangerous personal agendas are. Um, We are to carry out God's agenda. Once again, that's the Great Commission. So back to verse 5, Jesus says, Don't take the roads that leads to the Gentiles and don't enter any Samaritan town. Well, you look at this verse and you go, wait a second. What does Jesus have against non-Jews? He's telling them to only go to the Jews. Well, Jesus doesn't have anything against the non-Jews. We, we've already seen him minister to the Roman centurion. We studied that. Remember, he healed a servant. Uh, he also healed a Gentile woman with a menstrual problem. We studied that. Uh, the first person that he revealed his true identity to was a Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. So what we're seeing here is that Jesus is slowly revealing his plan. So in verse 6, he says, instead, instead, I want you to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I want you to go to the lost sheep. You guys remember that commercial about 10 years ago? Uh, It was the ASPCA, the American Society for the Prevention of the Cruelty to Animals. Um, Sarah McLaughlin's in the background singing that angel song. Remember that? Um, it was really hard to watch. It was a really popular commercial, but the animals were crippled. Uh, one dog had one eye. You know, others were scared of people. Others were they were starving. They were cold. Uh, these animals have been abused and beaten and neglected, and that really is a snapshot of what Jesus saw as he ministered to the lost sheep in, uh, in Galilee. Because he saw people lost, he saw them spiritually abused, and he saw them without hope. So guys, Jesus is on mission here, and these restrictions are the first part of his plan. So Jesus told the Samaritan woman, he said, in John 4.22, he said, salvation is from the Jew." He also said in Matthew 15, he says, look, guys, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then the apostle Paul, he also confirms this order of salvation in Romans chapter one. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God of salvation to everyone who believes. And look at this. He says first to the Jew and also to the Greek. So that is the plan. Now, many Christians today don't think you need a plan, and that's not true. Uh, Proverbs 29, 18, when there is no vision, when there is no plan, the people are out of control. Don't you love that? When people are out of control, they do what is right in their own eyes. And when people do what is right in their own eyes, that is a recipe for disaster. Read the book of Judges. It is disaster after disaster, and the last chapter is Beyond awful. So, what Jesus is doing here, he's, he's teaching the apostles very specifically. This is where you start, guys. You start in your own backyard. And here's why. Let's say, let me give you an illustration. Let's say one of you comes to me and says, Hey, I, I, I want to be a missionary and I want to go to China. I think I'm called to go to China to be a missionary. And I would say, Great. Have you shared the gospel with anybody here in the Verde Valley? Um, no. No, no, no. Well, do you, do you know the three circles? No. Do you know the Romans Road? No. Have you, do you know the bridge method? No, I haven't even heard of that. Okay, um, do you know anything about China? Do you know the Chinese culture? Do you know the Chinese language? Well, no, but I know I'm being called to China. Now, if you were me, if you were the pastor, what would you say? Yeah, you would say, no, you're not called to China. You've got to get trained, right? The same thing goes here. Jesus is rolling out the first phase of the training, and it is only to the Jews. The second phase uh, of evangelism comes after Jesus' resurrection, or his ascension, excuse me. Um, Because the apostles, they will preach the gospel to uh, to the Gentiles, to the rest of the world, but it's only after that. Things have to take, there's an order to God's revelation. And we see this order in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And you're going to tell people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, look at this. So that's his own backyard. In Judea, the nation, it expands. In Samaria, so that's the Gentiles. And then to the ends of the earth, eventually the four corners of the world. And really what's kind of entertaining about this is it's the Apostle Paul who is the chief apostle to the Gentiles. It wasn't the original 12. Um, the Apostle Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 3.8. He says, though I am the least deserving of all God's people... He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. And aren't you glad? Because if it, were, if it weren't for him and the, and the rest of the apostles, we would not be here, would we? So all that to say this, we cannot get the cart before the horse when it comes to the audience second reason that Jesus sent the apostles is that nobody can do everything at one time. Uh, not, only, not only that, but really at this point in the ministry, the apostles also have a lot of growing up to do. These men still despise Gentiles. So how do you minister to people that you despise? That's not going to work out very well. So really the, the leadership principle from Jesus is clear so far. And this brings us to key point number one is that we are to start small and walk slow. We are to start small and walk slow. And the same thing goes for us today. A church that doesn't keep the main thing the main thing is doomed to mediocrity. An unfocused ministry is a shallow ministry. Now, as as the disciples of Jesus today... We are concerned about all the different things that are involved in ministry, Um, but obviously we can't do them all, can we? We are to focus on the specific task that the Lord has given to each one of us, and usually that's one, two, maybe three things that are all interrelated. Um, Now, once the apostles get to the different towns of the Jews, what are they to do once they get there? Verse 7 tells us, As you go, I want you to proclaim, I want you to proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near. Uh, Notice the gospel message here is always first uh, because the message is the priority. Also note the clarity of the message. John the baptizer started his, his ministry by saying, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus preached the same exact thing in Matthew 4, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And, and the apostles are to do the same exact thing to the Jewish people. Now today, one of the reasons that pastors refuse to preach the gospel and this, the clarity of the gospel message today is because of how clear it is. You know, it's a lot easier to minimize the gospel message by putting in politics, all these social matters, or even theology. Um, because these secondary issues, what it does is it takes away the power and the clarity of the gospel message. Jesus says, look, we are sinners, and we need to repent. We got to repent of that sin and turn from that sin and cling to Jesus. Um, Now, obviously, that's not the whole message that the apostles have, but it was the key point. Uh, So the the apostles also preached on what that meant. But the the whole idea here is that the apostles preached like Jesus preached. Now, as a side note, the, the only difference between the apostles preaching and our preaching today, it should be that for the apostles, the kingdom of God was near. In other words, Jesus was on the earth, but he had not yet died for sin and risen from the dead. Today, the kingdom of God is not only near, but it's realized. It's a reality. So today, we are, we are supposed to proclaim and teach and preach a crucified, risen, and returning Christ, who is both Lord and Savior. So, preaching the gospel is primary here. What else? What else are the the apostles to do? Well, verse 8, Jesus goes on. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, uh, cleanse those with leprosy, and drive out the demons. All right. So, verse 8 refers to the apostles' credentials. These are miracles. These are signs. This verse is for the apostles. It is not for us today. This is a descriptive verse of what happened. It is not prescriptive for us to use. And we we know that because we can't perform these miracles for several reasons. Number one, the Lord didn't command us today to do that, nor did he command anybody else today to do that. Uh, Secondly, the primary reason the apostles had this supernatural power once again, was to verify the gospel message. The signs and the miracles that the apostles uh, did, they were the credentials to show people that this message is true. Um, The apostles, they were this rogue group of, of religious people. They were not part of the scribes and the Pharisees. So how and why were the people supposed to believe the message? Well, the answer is that supernatural power that Jesus gave them. It was through the miracles. The Apostle Paul, he did the same thing. He wrote to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, look guys, when I was with you, I certainly gave you proof that I'm an apostle, for I patiently, I love that, for I patiently did many signs and wonders among you. So, um, we do have modern-day miracles today. And please don't misunderstand me. God can do a miracle anytime he wants, right? Uh, he can heal. Um, healing is often through a different means and mode. It's not, it is not through someone like the apostles that proclaim things and things happen. But today it's more of prayer. The primary miracle of the kingdom of God today is watching God turn a sinner into a saint. You know, let's not discount that. Let's not discount that salvation is miraculous. I mean, think about it. You guys look in the rearview mirror of your own life and you realize what a lousy bum you were before the Lord saved you. Right? I must be the only lousy bum in this place. I am so grateful that the Lord saved my wretched soul. I am. The second miracle today is love. I want you to think about this. It is much easier for Jesus to raise the dead than to get his disciples to love one another. It is love. And then thirdly, Scripture, it's the Bible, right? The Bible is the most comprehensive miracle of all because miracles are signs, and these signs are found in Scripture. Um, Think of a road sign. Just as a road sign tells you to slow down because there's a 90 degree curve coming your way, uh, that road sign points to the curve. Well, biblical miracles did the same thing because biblical miracles point to Jesus. Uh, Think of this, miracles signify, they signify um, the significance of the what and the where that the sign is pointing so the sign is not the end of itself. It points to someone or something greater, and that someone is the Lord Jesus. Next, Jesus gives practical instructions here. So, you know, they're probably thinking, well, how are we, su- we going to do this? How are we going to survive? Um, where are we going to stay? What, what are we going to eat? Well, Jesus says in verse 8, he says, freely you received, freely give. Freely you received, freely give. Notice the emphasis on free. This is a huge verse. We're going to spend some time on it here. Uh, The ESV, if you've got the English Standard Version, uh, translates it this way. You received without paying, so give without pay. It was common for false teachers and these fake exorcists, To become rich in Jesus' day, they would make claims that they could heal and and do all these things they could never deliver on. So friends and family, what would they do? If they had a a friend who was demon-possessed or a family member who was demon-possessed, they were willing to basically pay nearly anything uh, for the exorcism. So there were plenty of false teachers who took advantage of people's uh, desperation here. And if we really think about it, the apostles, they could have become wealthy doing that. They could have charged for their miraculous signs, raising the dead, casting out demons, but they didn't do that. But, listen carefully, false teachers do. False teachers do. They put a price on their ministry. We fast, fast forward 2,000 years, has anything changed With the false teachers from the first century to the false teachers today. No, it's just different characters, right? So let me ask you, why are these so-called prosperity teachers and these so-called faith healers charging people to be healed when Jesus specifically and clearly commands not to take an offering or charge for ministry? You guys have seen the, the videos. I mean, why are today's faith healers and prosperity preachers so popular? These guys are filling up stadiums, tens of thousands of people. I went to to two websites to see how much they were charging per ticket to go to these conferences. Notice it's a conference. Notice it's a concert. It's not a worship service. They're charging anywhere from $100 to $175 per ticket. That's just to get in. So much for freely giving. Um, I want to share two stories with you. Number one, from the Old Testament, and number two, from the Old Testament. Because this, the prosperity gospel is so widely receptive. I, I want to show you from Scripture um, how wrong it is. And how wicked it is! Um, There is a fascinating story in the Old Testament about the prophet Elisha. Uh, He has a servant; his name is Gehazi, and they deal. This story deals with this the subject of taking money for ministry. The short story is this: There's an army commander named Naaman. Naaman is a VIP; he's a very important person, but he's got leprosy, and he was told to visit the prophet Elisha for a cure. So Naaman, he shows up at Elisha's house, he says, I'm here, but Elisha doesn't open the door. He sends Gehazi, his servant, to meet with him, Naaman, or, and then Gehazi gives Naaman the instructions on what he's supposed to do. Uh, we're going to pick up the story in 2 Kings chapter 5. So Naaman receives the instructions, but Naaman, once he got the instructions, he got angry and he walked away and he said... Well, you know, I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. I mean, after all, I'm a VIP. I'm a very important person. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and to call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Now, pause. Time out. How many times have you seen these faith healers do that on TV? They, they do this. It's a show, right? There's one guy who takes off his coat And he he waves it over everybody in the crowd, and all the people fall down. It is a show. Regardless of Naaman's uh, anger here, he did what the prophet Elisha told him to do. And by God's mercy, guess what? Naaman gets healed. So, fast forward to verse 15. Naaman, his entire party, he's got an entourage. They go back to the man of God. They knock on the door. They come back. He stood before them, and he says, now I know. I know there's there's no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. Now, this is not so much a gift, but payment. And we know it's a payment because um, Naaman wouldn't have given it to him if he was not healed. Verse 16, but Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I'm not going to accept any of your gifts. I'm not going to accept your payment. And though Naaman urged him to take the gift, Elisha, he refused. But Gehazi, notice, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, he said to himself, well, you know, my master, he, he shouldn't have let this Aramean get away with accepting any of his gifts. Now, Aramean, not Armenian. Aramean, he's a Syrian. That's his nationality. Uh, Arminian is is with your theology. So he is an Aramean, he is a Syrian. So what's he say? He says, I'm going to chase after him, and I'm going to go get something from him. So Gehazi, he sets off after Naaman. When Naaman saw Gehazi running after him, he climbed down from his chariot. He said, is everything okay? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But my master has sent me to tell you that two young prophets from the hill country of Ephraim They've just arrived, and he would like 75 pounds of silver and two sets of clothing to give to him. By all means, take as much silver as you need. He insisted. He gave him two sets of clothing. He tied uh, tied it up in money bags. And then um, Naaman sends two of his own servants to carry the bribe, so to speak, for uh, Gehazi. Verse 24, Gehazi Went in and he hid the gifts. Uh-oh! When he went into his master, Elisha asked him, "Hey Gehazi, where you been?" Oh, I haven't been anywhere." <laughs> but Elisha asked him, "Don't you, don't you realize that I was there in spirit when Naaman stepped down from his chariot? Is this the time to receive money and clothing?" Is this the time to receive olives and groves and vineyards and sheep and cattle and male and female servants, Gehazi? In other words, is this the time to charge for miracles? Mm. Verse 27, because you have done this. Because, guys, because you did not freely give as a minister, because you did not freely give, you and your descendants will suffer from Naaman's leprosy forever. So when when Gehazi left the room, guess what? He was covered with leprosy, and his skin was white as snow, obviously ending Gehazi's career as a minister. Don't miss this. Gehazi was stricken with the same sickness that Naaman was cured of, All because of greed. Have you ever heard a prosperity preacher teach on that passage? (laughs) I don't think so. Guys, look. Miraculous powers, they come from God. And they must be used for God's glory and not anyone's prosperity. And that's what Jesus is teaching the apostles. We see another example of this, uh, of someone trying to use God's power for prosperity in the New Testament here. This is in the book of Acts. This man, his name is Simon, a man named Simon. He's been a sorcerer for many, many years. He's been amazing, the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. Everyone from uh, the least to the greatest, they often spoke of him as the great one. This guy's got the power of God. And they listened closely to him, because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. Huh. But now the people believe Philip's message of the good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. And as a result, many men and women were baptized. Simon himself, he believed he was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and the great miracles that Philip performed. Peter and John, they came to Samaria. They started laying hands on, on, on believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. And look at this. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given to the apostles and he laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. He says, let me have this power too, so that, I, that when I lay my hands on people, They will receive the Holy Spirit. Pete replies. Can't you just see Peter saying this? May your money be destroyed. Because you're thinking that you can buy God's gift. In other words, are you out of your mind? Verse 21, you can have no part in this because your heart's not right. Simon, you got to repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord, and perhaps He will forgive you. For I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. The theme of God's servants, specifically the teachers and the preachers of God's word, are to live by faith. It's a theme found throughout all of Scripture. Even the Mishnah, the oral traditions of the Jews, they said that a rabbi could not take money for his teaching no more than a judge could for his judging. I mean, what's it called when someone gives money to a judge? Bribery. Bribery. So pastors and priests and ministers are to give away the gospel, It was true in the Old Testament. It is true today. Why? Because freely we received and freely we give it away. God has given this message to us. We give it away. We give it away. We give it away. Now time out. Because some of you are thinking, well, wait a second. Hey, Dustin, don't we pay you? As a church, don't we pay you? Yes, you do. The biblical response to verse 8 for the church today is that pastors, priests, and ministers, they are supported by the loving response of those people who appreciate the minister's work. And we're going to see that here in a moment. A couple things on money. Have you guys noticed that I only teach about money when it comes up in the passage? I, I, I hope you've noticed that. Have you noticed that we don't pass the plate around here? It's so funny, people will come and they'll say, hey, why don't you pass the plate? Uh, Where's the offering? They don't even know where it is. I love it. Why do we do that? The reason we do this, guys, is because when, when people put a price on their ministry, when they constantly talk and hint and preach and teach about money, what they're doing is they're pricing themselves out of the blessings of God. So here's what I do when it comes to River Bible Church. I pray when it comes to money that God would do such a radical change in your heart that you would want to joyfully give something. I pray that when new people come in, they feel safe and they feel comfortable enough to give something. I pray for for those of you who are giving something that you will experience the joy of tithing, And then I pray for those that can give larger gifts that they would would do that as well because we are a church on mission. We're doing exactly what this passage states. We are going, preaching, teaching, and baptizing. Why do I do this? Because your giving is between you and the Lord. I love 2 Corinthians 9, 7. The Apostle Paul tells the Corinthian church this. And by the way, this verse is the verse on money when it comes to the finances of the church. He says this, each person should do as he has decided to do in his own heart. Not reluctantly or out of compulsion since God loves a cheerful giver. Man, isn't that good? No rules. God lays it on your heart. Great. If he doesn't, great. Jesus continues now in verse 9. He says, speaking of money, he says, don't acquire gold, silver, or copper for your money belts. So Jesus gave this command because he doesn't want the apostles to worry about money. Let me tell you, um, as a pastor and ministry leader, there's nothing worse than have to worry about whether we're not gonna have the, the lights turned on for a Sunday. And he says, don't worry about that. He uses gold, silver, and copper because those are the metals that were used for money in the first century. Um, And basically what Jesus is saying here is you don't need to bring money because you're not going to need it. The Lord's going to take care of you. Verse 10, he goes on to say, don't take a traveling bag for the road. Don't take an extra shirt, sandals, or a staff for the worker is worthy of his food. So let's not overthink this verse. Uh, The apostles, they are not going to live as beggars here. All Jesus is saying is, look, guys, I want you to travel light. Travel light. This is a real short trip. You've already been to these towns. Now you're going to go back. So the the sense here is not to take these things, but don't acquire these things. Don't go out and buy them. Don't go out and make them. You're not going to need them. Just take what you have and let's get going. Verse 11, he says, when you, when you enter any town or village, find out who is worthy and stay there until you leave. So when the disciples, when they, when they start ministering to all these Jewish people in these towns, they're preaching the gospel, they're healing the sick, don't you think that they're going to be invited over for dinner and lunch? Yeah, absolutely. This is how God provides for his people. And that's, how, that's really key point number two. When God guides, God provides. When God guides, God provides. So as the apostles, they enter each town, they are supposed to look for people who are receptive to their message. And it's those people who are going to house them and feed them. He goes on to say in verse 12, he says, greet a household when you enter it. And then verse 13, if the household is worthy, let your peace be on it. But if it's unworthy, let your peace return to you. So the Jews, they would greet one another by saying, Shalom. Shalom is a big word, is a holistic word. It's a comprehensive word. Shalom means peace, tranquility. It means safety and well-being and welfare. This idea of health and contentment and success. It also means comfort wholeness, and integrity. So if the apostles found a family willing to house and feed and support them for a day, maybe two, they should let their peace, that is a blessing, be upon that family in that house. But if a house proved unworthy, if the house didn't support them, they should withhold that blessing, which is really Jesus's blessing, rejecting the apostles message here. That is a serious sin. We're going to get to that here in a minute. Uh, Verse 14, if anyone does not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet uh, when you leave that house or that town. So this is a symbolic gesture of everything that is unclean. Jesus says that the apostles, look guys, you need to move on. If people refuse to listen to you, don't stay there. Don't waste your time. You need to move on. And then in verse 15, he says, listen up. Truly I tell you. That's what that means. Listen up. Pay attention. Um, It will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Sodom and Gomorrah, famous for godlessness and immorality. They obviously violated the covenant of marriage. But they also violated the laws of hospitality. So Jesus uses Sodom and Gomorrah to make a comparison here. And here's the comparison. If the people of a specific town, if they reject the gospel, they don't believe the miracles, okay? They don't, believe, they don't listen to the message, and they don't believe the miracles, the signs, the proof. They are, in fact, not rejecting you as an apostle. They are rejecting Jesus as God. So the point is not that these towns in Galilee committed a greater sin than Sodom and Gomorrah, Because they really didn't. The point is that they're going to face a greater judgment, a greater punishment, because God revealed the gospel to them. They had more information than Sodom and Gomorrah, and yet they rejected the message. So, obviously, that's quite the comparison there. And the reason it's quite the comparison, we we all know, most of us know what happened, the punishment of Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you know there's still no trace of either one of those cities? Archaeologists believe that those cities are under the south end of the Dead Sea. So God just covered the whole, both cities with water. Wow. So look, I know this was a big passage today. Um, I want to I close by just once again discussing the, the, the covering of the local church here. Uh, think about this, guys, as we, as we study Jesus' word. Jesus poured his life into 12 men. Out of those 12 men, he had three men that were his inner circle. And out of those three men, he had one guy that was his main guy. So if you are feeling alone, If you're feeling depressed, frustrated, if you're angry, guys, look, it might be due to a lack of friendship. It might be due to a lack of fellowship and leadership in your life. And if that's the case, I don't want you to stay there. Man, I don't want you to stay angry or bitter, frustrated, frustrated. I want you to, to meet some new people and deepen some friendships. So once again, uh, that's, what, that's what we're here for. That's what the local church is for. Not to tell you what to do, but to come alongside of you and love on you. And maybe that starts today. So you're invited to stay for fellowship. We've got prayer through the foyer and, and to the right. Well, Father in heaven, what an amazing passage as we, we really get to, to look at the first section of these instructions that you're giving to the apostles. Lord, thank you for teaching us the difference between the instructions that are um, for the apostles and the instructions that are for us today. Thank you for showing us the difference there. Um, Lord, You you know where our hearts are. You know how lonely we are you know the level of our depression you know the level of our anger and you know why and father i i pray that maybe just maybe this week we can do some business with you and we can repent of our our sin and we can make things right with others and we can get into a fellowship that is certainly not perfect but lord god i pray that we're faithful And in our faithfulness, we're going to make you smile by being called children of God. Lord, we love you. I continue to pray for the the God intersections and the divine disruptions this week as we go out. As we go out this week and... We go to the grocery store, we mow the lawn, we, we, we do what we do, we, we have our hobbies, and, and that you would allow us to have our spiritual antennas up so when people start to say things about God or spiritual conversations, we can jump in and we can have this gospel conversations that we would actually go and plant the seed, and it's in Jesus' name I pray, Amen.